Hey Rockstar, welcome to the 41st episode of Bandswit. My name is Queen Rafi and this is my podcast Queen Rafi Space and for today's episode, I spoke with Yusuf Akinpelumi. Yusuf Akinpelumi is currently an award-winning data journalist at BBC Africa. He has written over 100 stories from his days at Premium Times newspaper and with an interest in fact-checking, has carved a niche for himself. On this episode, we spoke about his career journey, the stories he's most proud of, the rewards and challenges that comes with being a journalist. This is a conversation you would definitely enjoy. Do listen in. Yusuf Akinpelumi, you are an award-winning journalist and you've been able to tell really amazing stories. I've followed your work via social media for a very long time, but I would like to know how you would describe yourself to somebody who has never seen you, seen your works or who has never met you before. What would be three words that would come to mind in describing yourself? I would say I'm a journalist and my intention through my journalism is to always give voice to the voiceless. And while doing that, I always want to use data as much as possible to make people understand what data is and how it impacts on their lives. So it's not enough to say 20 people die in a place. What does that mean? How does it feel like to die? And um, if there is, is inflation, it has to be, let's say, 10%. What does it really mean in the real sense of it? So I like to say that I like to give life to data while doing my journalism. That is interesting. Giving life to data. That's an interesting way to put it because... A lot of times, like you said, um, in fact, there's a popular saying where people say, oh, don't become part of the statistics. It's almost like when we reduce some things to numbers, we don't we don't feel humanly connected to them, forgetting that those numbers are people who make up those particular numbers. So I, I find it very interesting that you would say giving mm-hmm. life to data. Let's go back to the very beginning. Did you always know that you, you wanted to be a journalist or when did this start for you? Yes, I always wanted to be, and um, started off while I was in secondary school, junior secondary school, particularly. At that time, there was a press club I belonged to, so we normally cast the news on assembly grounds and during occasions in the school. So that's um, so. Then that was when I began to pay attention to the news because we basically have to pay attention to the news to report whatever has happened on the assembly ground. So thereafter, I began to crave reading newspaper because then I could not afford buying newspaper and I wasn't from a home where newspapers are being bought. So I then began to buy newspaper with my transport fare and I would trek home while I'm reading the newspaper on the road. Then I normally read most of sports newspaper and that's why that's where i began to uh, i began to develop interest in sports generally football and every other sports like that but at home where i could not have access to newspaper i had access to the radio so there i listened to people talk on radio and there was this burning desire in me that normally told me that i could do what those broadcasters did so because of that belief, I had it in mind that, oh, yes, this is what I think I can do, not what I want to do, really, but it is what I think I can do. So it's turning to me just trying to 
imitate these people I listen to. Sometimes I just stand in front of a mirror and just be imagining whatever news I must have listened to. I would just be reading it. I would just be casting it myself before a mirror. Sometimes I just soliloquize randomly and all of those. And when that ended and I entered into senior secondary school, it continued. I continued to read newspaper. I became a go-to person for anything that has to do with sports information while in school. So upon graduation, I proceeded to uh, Federal School of Statistics where I began like core school journalism. So there I was a key member of the Union of Campus Journalists. And when I got into the University of Ibadan, I didn't look back. I devoted much of my time to journalism because I always knew that that would be what I want to do after school. So in the course of that, my studies suffered, but because I knew what I wanted, I just ensured that I did what was enough for me to graduate with at least a decent grade. And uh, all I was just pursuing was to network, to reach out to people who were already in the, in the mainstream journalism for me to have opportunities and to also showcase what I could do. And that was what I fell onto after graduation. Wow, interesting. So from what you're telling me now, journalism wasn't what, what you studied in University of Ibadan? No, I studied statistics. You studied statistics, so your but your interest has always been in journalism. And now you try to make sense of data. So you've been able to combine what you read in school, even though you said you weren't focusing so much on it, with your true yeah. passion, journalism. Yeah, so what that did for me was, because I studied statistics, I, yeah. I wouldn't be afraid of the of, of figures or data as some persons might be. So I am. I, have, <laughs> I hate yeah, numbers, of, believe me. <laughs> yeah, even some of my colleagues, they have that fear. They have the phobia for figures. So, but because I studied statistics and that was what I literally did for five years between Polytechnic and the university. So I had I have very vivid understanding of what figures look like. So I could interpret like elementary figures, I could tell what figures say and how I can make it understandable to people. So it wasn't like what I studied eventually went to waste. At least it came to play, even though I'm not putting it into practice like entirely, but still it played a key role in what I now do in journalism because it could be any journalist, it could do anything. But one of the ways to tell good stories is to infuse data because data, they are always like facts that cannot be, that, that are incontrovertible, it cannot be contended with. Other than when somebody say, okay, this is what is happening, or I experienced this, it can come with sentiment of bias. But when it is data, like it's standing at that period, it's what it is. It, it, cannot, it cannot be this and that. It is whatever it is, it, it said it is. So then when I saw an opportunity to key into that, um, plug that hole, I, I, that was what I did. That is amazing because we live in an era now where, you know, everybody's looking for the facts. Everybody wants the facts because there is so much of information that is just flying all about. And sometimes you don't even know which exactly is the truth and which is just people's opinions. And I think that's one of the ways in which I sort of connected with you because I know that you did fact checking for a particular yeah. platform at some point. And I think that's that's like my earliest introduction to, you know, the amazing person that Yusuf is. 
So I wanted to ask, like, apart from doing statistics, right, how important is, like, fact-checking for us in this age and time when it comes to the area of journalism and, you know, putting out the news and everything that we do? Because the way that journalism is run now, there's so much of opinion pieces that has kind of overridden the aspect of the fact that we need facts. Because you've talked about facts and data a lot, and I just really need somebody listening in to understand why that is a very key and important part of journalism. There is this uh, saying that facts are secret, opinions are general. So I can have an opinion about something, I can say, okay, this is what I believe. doesn't make it stand, it doesn't make it right, or it doesn't make it right, or maybe even wrong. For fact, it's just what it is. If, if it is said that, according to this source, okay, for instance, the sun is hot. It is a fact. It is not like it is not. It can be hot. It can be cold. Or it's, sometimes it can be. It can be cold. That's just to say that when it comes to journalism, it's when people when people can have their sentiment, their biases, or opinion. Whatever fact is, that's what we can always stick to. That's what you can always say. Oh. This that is happening, this is what we can prove. This is what the fact is. And that's also to take us to what, um, when it comes to fact-checking. So one of the critical pinnacle of journalism is fact-checking. So it's not enough to say uh, 20 people died in a, in a place when you cannot match it to what who said what. Is it just an eyewitness person who just thought that this is what I saw, who could not even say, okay, this is how I saw it, and this is why I think it is what I saw. It's not enough for somebody to just say that randomly, or, or are you quoting an official uh, source like the police saying this is what has happened? So in, in essence, it's an era of information pollution. So here and there, you see a barrage of information online from every right, left, and center, from everywhere. So it is now the job of journalists to dissect and to pick out what can be proven from what cannot be. Even when it is not certain, it is also the job of this journalist to say, this is what we were told, but we cannot independently verify this to be true. So you've told your audience that this is not a standard fact. This is subject to speculation. It's different from saying this is what somebody told you, but because it aligns with what you think it is, you naturally just, or you, you literally just run with it without informing whoever is reading it that this is not a gospel. This is subject to, this is just somebody's opinion and it is left to you to read it with caution. You necessarily may not believe it and you necessarily may not discard it. By and large, it's fact is what drives our world and it is what informs critical and very informed decision-making by, by the people. And it's the work of we journalists to ensure that that is what people are fed with and not necessarily our bias or our sentiment or our opinion. Thank you so much. I See, that's why I said, let me leave it to the expert. I'm not sure I would have been able to break it down in the way that you broke it down. And I don't even have any other thing to add to that. I've followed some of your work with Premium Times. I remember there was a time that you were also helping run the podcast aspect of it. And you've also written quite a number of articles I think I saw yeah. over 20 different articles <laughs> that you've written so far. And also, by the way, you were your time at Premium Times was 
Mm, look at that your, t- your time with premium times was really really um impactful for you i would say as an outsider looking in because i know that you won quite a number of awards and you wrote quite a number of very in- interesting and amazing stories that were very very um influential but i want to ask yeah. you what are some stories that you were so proud that man i'm i'm able to write these stories i'm able to put these stories out there for people to know that this is happening or this happened or this is how this is and this is what this is what this is not yeah so because the metrics to measure um impact or the metrics to measure the love for a particular story i write or a journalist wrote could vary from time to time so and how do i mean it could be the metric could be the impact that was triggered as a result of the story it could also be the rigor you put into telling the story or the creativity you believe you put into the story. So I would say first, if it is about impact, I think one that quickly comes to mind is um, when the president nominated um, a new director general for NAPTIP, that's a National Anti-Trafficking and Protection of Person Agency, there was a woman who was appointed to that position. I want to remember, an Iman Suleiman. So it happened that, according to the NAPTIP Act, whoever whoever is to head that agency must be of directorate cadre in the public service. So that means you cannot pick somebody who is an outsider who has never held public office to become the director general of NAPTIP. But the president picked somebody who was an outsider who had never had any public office. Who the only the, the closest she got was to be a special assistant to a, a was it a commissioner, a minister? And I can't remember exactly. So when this was spotted and she was appointed, I wrote the story, and that's upon the nudging of one of my editors. Um, Mr. Musikilu Majid. So, and when I checked the the act and I saw what the provision says, it became something that I raised. And when I told the story, I contacted the office of the president, likewise the, uh, the attorney general's office and uh, the Ministry of uh, Humanitarian Affairs and what have you. So when the story, there were follow-ups to the story to see how other presidents had done to appoint a new head of NAPTIP. And it was that it was never so in other administration. The only first time such would happen was under President Muhammad Buhari. And that became reasons for me to continue to mount pressure by doing follow up to the story. And she was appointed December of 2020. So by March of 2021, the president eventually bowed to pressure. And she was replaced by someone who fits the qualification to be the head of that agency. So they were just like a swap. So she was taken off that agency and taken to another agency where there was no such provision. And the other person who added that agency was brought to NAPTIP. So that for me was an impact. It's something that I feel, or if I hadn't raised it, if I hadn't kicked in or I hadn't spotted it, she could have just been there. Of course, she could be qualified in terms of paper, but what the law says is the, the law was not made by me, neither was it made by the president himself. So 
it's sacred. It's not for anybody to breach, irrespective of whoever you are. So it should be followed. If it must not be followed, then it needed to be amended to suit that particular um, choice. But since it is what we still we still use, that should be followed. That for me was important. It's one of the stories I I I, I can say I'm proud of. But in terms of the rigor, I think that which I did that was had to do with how dirty for being important to Nigeria risks lives of Nigeria. And that was particularly important for me because in the course of me telling the story, having to go between interview motorists and residents, not just in Abuja, but in Lagos and Ibadan, and even some part of Kogi. So that required so much of extra legwork. And um, having to eventually reach out to countries that from which Nigeria imports fuel from, like the UK and some EU countries. So having to reach out to them for response and eventually having to get a response from the UK government saying their own side of the story and why from them, the kind of fuel they import into Nigeria, why it is as it is, why it may contain higher sulfur content than ordinary ones that are acceptable in the UK. So they gave the reason. That for me was like putting so much rigor and having to get response. Even though back home, there was some of the officials that I reached out to, like Bon, I mean, like Son, Standard Organization of Nigeria, DPR, and other oil and gas agencies in the country. They were elusive. Some of them were not responsive. But this was a foreign government who had, who could have valid reasons not to give a response, but they, they, they eventually turned, turned up a response. And that for me was, um, it's also a story that stands out for me and many others, but that those two, as some of the stories I can say, oh yes, I think I'm happy I told them. Wow, I'm sure that even a lot of people listening to this will be so happy you told them. I'm also very proud that you told those stories. I mean, um, I see a lot of the stories that you've told and you have done so well for yourself and you've done, you know, really, really proud. Just hearing you talk about some of the things that you've done, it would look like, you know, journalism has just been smooth sailing for you from beginning to the end. But I know that when it comes to career choices and, you know, actually the part of being a journalist is not always smooth sailing. So this is what I want you to do. I would like you to tell me like two things that you've absolutely loved about being a journalist. And then one thing that has been like a challenge, but, you know, would do journalism regardless because you're still doing it. Uh, okay, two things that's, that, that keeps me going. The fact that... I get to because I don't I do not like injustice, and I'm not the most powerful person in terms of maybe maybe physicality or so. But I believe in the power of the pen. I believe in in speech. I believe in correcting wrong. I believe in shaping people's um, shaping people's perspective about issue and uh, getting people informed and making them learn from whatever it is I know. So the fact that I'm always able to impact the public about certain information that I'm, I'm privy to is one of the things that I love about doing this job. And maybe one of the things is that, okay, growing up, I'd always wanted to do something that would involve, would require me to investigate issues, to just crack puzzle. So I literally always read, I read detective books, books on crime, and I also like to see movies on crime or detective trying to get the bad guys. So, but because 
a little reason that doing that would just mean doing it. I won't be able to tell how I did it. I would just be behind the scene, cracking, uh, cracking crimes and all. I won't be able to tell people this was the processes I used to arrive at this. So journalism gave me that those double fronts, not just to crack puzzle, and by cracking puzzle, I also mean not just to tell stories, not just to explain complex issues to people, but I'll also be doing that by telling people how that is being done. So that means I can be a detective while I'm also a journalist. So back to your question about two things I like. That's the fact that I'm able to inform people. That means breaking down complex issues and making them better informed. And likewise, I just feel happy when I tell people's story. So when I tell your story, when I tell different people's story, it gives me joy because that means ordinarily you might have never been heard if I hadn't come in. So that means I'm doing humanity a huge favor by telling other people's story. And if it's now talk about challenges, cannot really spot any challenge because even when there when there are challenges or when there are downtime, the fact that you are telling other people's story, you are getting people informed, always dilute whatever thing that she might be facing. But of course, maybe uh, journalists are not least some so rich people. Some people may counter that, but uh, maybe if there are much more, uh, I mean, opportunities or, or bigger paying gigs that journalists get. And um, maybe that would have been something that I personally would have loved, but even at that, too, it is still a good job. I always love to see people enter, even including you. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing my own journalism in a way. <laughs> By having my own podcast, I'm doing my own journalism in a way, writing stories. Hmm. I'm not sure I'm going to be as good as you have to do all of those work, but I, I believe I'm doing my own journalism in a way. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I respect all that you've said and the fact that you even like really, really had to crack your mind to bring up a challenge means you really love what you do. And I'm just really proud of you. you you're currently, you know, with the BBC now and that just tells to how much of work you've done on yourself because the BBC doesn't just employ anybody. They employ the best of the best, the excellent people, you know. So um, mm. I, I want to thank you so much for your time. I've absolutely enjoyed, you know, listening to you talk about your story and there are so many similarities between your story and my story, even though I'm doing my own journalism in a different way. The press club oh, thing, I relate to that. I was in press club as well. Thing to make more money, I relate to that, believe me. And that's the joy of speaking to people on the podcast. For you, you know, you enjoy writing people's stories. I enjoy speaking with people because you get to hear their stories firsthand. You get to understand the passion behind what they do. And for you, that's not hard to tell. Your passion is so clear. Anybody can hear it from your voice. Finally, just before you go, in case I, anybody else is listening to this podcast and they want to be a journalist, what is your one go-to advice for them? The advice I held on to when I began to just get started. You do not learn to swim by reading all the swimming books in the world. You learn to swim by us by entering the water and, and trying those tricks you might have learned. In the water. You do not learn to cook by reading all the culinary books in the world or just admiring cooks. You learn to cook by cooking, get it burnt, you learn, you get better at it. 
Likewise, a child does not learn to walk by looking at people that walk. Rather, it learns to walk by walking. So if you want to be a journalist, and the currency of journalism is writing, and of course, yeah, maybe not writing, but if you want to speak to, you have to have, you needed to have put down some things to know what to say. So in essence, it just gets started. Write those things, write those stories, write those ideas that come to your mind. Just write it down. Let it be like you're learning a new language. When you put past tense before present tense, where, where present tense is supposed to be, it's allowed. The more, the, the, the more you write, the better you get at it. So it's, it will not come at the go or at the get-go. But if you get at it, if you stay on, or you stay on it, yes, just ensure that you write at least once a week. That was one of the advices I got. And I began to like follow it, not just hear it, but follow it. You're told to write at least once a week. Just write about anything. Write about, post it on your Facebook or your Twitter or anywhere else. Just put it there. Forget about whoever is not engaging with it or maybe they're not reading it or you're not. Just continue. If you do that consistently for a, for a month, two months, three months, look at what you did in the past month and compare to it. So get started and be consistent. Thank you so much oh. for being here, Yusuf. I can tell you me, I have enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being so open and talking about your career journey. Thank you so much. That's all I can say. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. I am very sure that you enjoyed listening to that conversation with Yusuf Akimpelumi. You can follow him on social media and read all his interesting articles via the link that I would put in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you're a journalist out there listening to this, I hope that you continue to have more successes in your career. What you do is not easy and we definitely need you to continue. Thanks for listening.